0: Follow along on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and SoundCloud. Find us at Toddcast Podcast.
1: Well, thank you for taking some time and, and sharing your story with us here. Tonight. I love this. Mm-hmm. And
0: I love the name of your podcast, The Toddcast. I, When I heard that, I said, okay, first of all, with the most respect, it sounds like an SNL thing, right? The Toddcast. Oh,
1: well, it does, right?
0: But who is ever going to forget that name?
1: Yeah, well, I was working in in radio here in Vancouver uh, doing the afternoon show at a rock station, and one of my producers was like, dude, you have to start a podcast called The Podcast. Like, you have to. Yeah, I I agree. It's so (laughs) wrong if you don't. And I'm like, yeah, as soon as, you know, maybe I will. And then I got let go from radio, and I was like, I'm going to steal your idea if that's cool. And uh, I've been doing this now for nine years. It's crazy.
0: Amazing. So before, like, the onslaught of
1: podcasts. Yeah, right before it, like... Yeah. Like I said, you know, radio, they're always like, you know, start a podcast, do something on the side. I'm like, yeah, cool. As long as you pay me more money, like, you know, it's still something I can't just put shit out. Like,
0: no, and it's a lot of work, right?
1: It's a ton of work. Like, people, I'm just turning my do not disturb on. Yeah. when, When, when people expect something of you, they don't just like want it sometimes, they want all the time, right? And my thing was like, yeah, I'll start a podcast, but I just need. I need to be compensated for it. But as soon as, of course, as soon as like, I got let go from radio, I was like, all right, let's try. And yeah, it's, it's good. Killer. It's killer.
0: I love that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and you're, uh, you know, quick, of course, you know, researching your, uh, your life, your career is like amazing. It's Thank you, freaking amazing. So I think that everybody will know you from the Real Housewives of Toronto.
0: Yes. Yeah.
1: So probably not, <laughs> probably not a bad place to quickly start.
0: No, no, of course. And and believe me, that's, you know, the show is the show is a lot of, you know, the show is why I'm here. I just, you know, the show. Oh, my gosh. I, I watched the show the other day because I never actually watched the show. Right. And a girl from Australian Rolling Stone said, I really want to watch the first episode. So before I sent it to her, I thought oh, I really want to take a look because we've done a really good interview. So I thought I want to take a look at this. I watched it, and then I went upstairs and I snaked a drain in my son's shower. And snaking the drain was more appealing than watching the show. I was just like, "Who the f did they?" Like, it's distasteful for me. I it, I look at myself and I go, "Oh, gross. She's so annoying." But it's all—it's the edit. It's the—I'm it, not annoying. I was i am not an annoying you, person. Like, like how I'm so you that?
1: Because you had to like, there had to be some stuff there. there were like, they definitely took it out of context. They put it on because it's like that whole shock value of people like, "Holy." Did that actually just happen
0: yeah well actually it's funny you say that because the shock value stuff was that was me being the gym helper like looking at the camera going are, are you see what seeing what's going on here like when they take us to a plastic surgery party and everybody's drinking champagne coupes and eating mushrooms on toast while this drugged woman is walked into the room and they start doing plastic surgery on her live mm-hmm. and I'm like are you freaking kidding me and everybody else was like what? it's fabulous what's wrong with you I was like oh my god
1: and so yeah. like what was the best thing about doing that show and what was the worst thing do you think
0: so the best thing was the platform it gave me because it, it did give me I'll say this it gave me a great platform all I wanted to do in the beginning the, the whole reason why I got involved in it wait are we doing the podcast now? <laughs> is this
1: the podcast? <laughs>
0: Okay, sorry. I'm such an idiot. My kids will laugh. I, I,
1: um, I know i call it the podcast, <laughs> but I should probably tra- just call it like the train of thought podcast.
0: It is. you, you But that, you know, that's a sign of a good host. You make me very relaxed. No, so I wanted to do a reality television show. I have been a mom. I was doing freelance journalism. Um, I wasn't doing radio shows anymore because I couldn't keep up with that with three boys all in school, you know, all demanding after school activities, all that. I have yeah. been a mom for maybe full time. I'd say 12 years, okay, like up to my eyeballs in swim lessons and all of that stuff, hockey, all of that. And I said to my husband, you know, my eldest was going into first year university. And I said, I really would love to produce a reality show because on the side, I had been involved in a lot of Um, charity fundraisers, coordinating them, buying tables, stuff like that. Mm. And I said, this is like million dollar listing, but for charity events, because the stuff that goes on here is great organic conflict. You know, you put a red carpet out in Toronto in March and it turns into a slip and slide. Or you go in the kitchen when the chef is trying to prepare 1500 rubber chicken dinners. Like, do you know what goes on with that? Like, it's just crazy and it's good organic conflict. So I said, this would make a great reality show. So I had no idea what I was doing. I think I Googled reality television show producers in Canada, and I found this production company. I pitched it to them, and they said, actually, it's not a bad idea for a show. But here's the thing. We're going to do Real Housewives of Toronto, and we think you should be on Real Housewives of Toronto. And I went, no, why? <laughs> and they said, because it can be like your sizzle reel, and then like Ala Lisa Vanderpump, you spin off into your charity show. And I was going, but I don't want to be on the show. I want to produce the show. And they said, this is a really easy way to do it. So I thought, you know what? I'm kind of bored. I had two friends. Bethany Frankel was an acquaintance of mine. I don't, I, I, I'm hesitant to say a friend because I'm always thinking people are going to call her and she's going to go, who the hell is Kara Alloway? But she was <laughs> an acquaintance of mine. Um, she worked at a restaurant up the street for me. Kyle Richards was a friend of mine. Kathy Hilton was a friend of mine. Kim Richards. So I knew several people that had done Housewives. I'd been around them when they were filming. I thought, you know, I could do that with my eyes closed. And if that's what it takes, okay. My husband said, no problem, as long as me and the kids have nothing to do with it. We will not be on it. We will be nowhere near it. I said, no, of course you're not going to be anywhere near it. <laughs> um, <laughs> And then, uh, so I said, I- I'll do it. So away I went to do it. So the best thing to come out of the show was that platform. When the show wrapped, and I mean, the you know ashes were falling down all around me i was able to make my way to los angeles i got an agent to represent me as a producer i was able to pitch my show to legitimate production companies we did the sizzles for my show and i was able to push that agenda forward furthermore mm-hmm. i always wanted to write a book i always wanted to write a novel i knew i had a novel in me i and i knew it would be dealing with female relationships because i come from a very female centric background in the sense that you know with the most respect to my father rest in peace and all my uncles we are a very matriarchal family the women rule the roost I come I'm all girls a family of all girls all of my cousins all girls it's Mm. very female centric I went to an all girls family so I have always been really fascinated by how women relate to other women be it my mom relating to her sister-in-law myself relating to my female cousin just the way women relate to each other I knew that was my novel after I did Housewives actually even before because in my participant agreement my husband said this might be the backdrop for your novel so we're going to write this out of they have a Bethany Frankel clause which means they get a piece of the pie of everything you do from this point forward for the rest of your life so yeah It's called the Bethany Frankel clause because Bethany Frankel didn't have that. And that's why Bethany Frankel is going a million one, a million five, a million ten, because they didn't have that for her. So after they put that in and said no to file. So my novel was excluded from that because he said this might be the backdrop. And after the first night of filming, I came home. I said two things. Number one, you think you're not in this show? Oh, you're in this show because I need someone to bounce off of because I have nobody. I am a peninsula all by myself. You have no clue. And then number two, you're right. It's a great backdrop for my book. So the novel will take place on the set of a reality television show. But <laughs> it was crazy. It was really crazy.
1: And and so like what did what did your husband and and Baron and Hunter and Christian like what did they what did they think about it?
0: Well first of all, they shook their head and were like what have you got us into now? <laughs> and it's funny. My kids held out because the, the children, even though they're minors, and my youngest was um, an ACTRA, a you know, union member. He did voice work and commercials okay. and stuff. They held out on signing the participant agreement until the last possible moment. They really didn't want to have anything to do with it. They just said, it's not our thing. We don't want to be part of it. They had seen me filming. And you know the, when I say filming and direction, it makes people think it's scripted. It's not scripted, but... Okay, Kara, you're in the kitchen and you're really frustrated with this situation. Okay, go. So, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: you know, not scripted, but improv and leading you. So my kids really didn't want to do it. My husband was like, all right, I'll do it. But I will say what I'm going to say. He's a lawyer, you know, and he's like, I do work for the banks. I have to be really careful, Kara, about what I'm putting out there. Because think about it, like the Canadian banks, my goodness, he still wears gowns when he goes to court. You know, like I'm surprised he doesn't still wear the wig. So he was very apprehensive about being involved, but my kids, know. And then even I was filming a scene with my youngest and we were packing to go north to the cottage. And I remember that my youngest is a really animated kid and he was laughing with me and joking around. And the director said, no, no, I want you to act like this is really boring and you really hate doing this with your mom. And my youngest came to me after and he said, I never want to do. He was only 11 at the time. He said, I never want to do something like that again because they made me act like I didn't like you. And I didn't like that because I know it's not acting. And everyone who sees this is going to think I don't like my mom. And that's not our relationship. And I was like, whoa, okay, I get it.
1: Mm. So, mm. yeah. Interesting to get the backstory mm-hmm. of that uh, that style of a show. Do, do you ever get like used to the cameras kind of being around? I mean, I, I would imagine it's just kind of like eventually you have to, right?
0: Oh, you absolutely do. You think you'll never forget that you're mic'd and you think yeah. you'll never forget that the cameras are on. And that's a, a page in the narrative of my novel, she, the the main character sitting in a limo with her husband and she's talking away and then she's like, oh shit, I forgot the camera, the mics are on, the mics are hot because the mics are always hot. Even if you're not being filmed, someone always has a headphone on listening to you. You're always being recorded. The mics are always hot. And I thought I will never forget that. But of course you do and you, you, know, you let your guard down and you go, oh, I can't believe I have to do this today. All right, blah, blah, blah. And whether or not that makes it to the show is not important. What it means is someone's always listening. Oh, this is what sets her off. Okay. Let's make sure we get that beat. Let's make sure Ah. we capture that in this. So, you know, and, and it's, it's not scripted. I have to say this, someone like an Alex Baskin who was with evolution that did real housewives of Beverly Hills. Um, He now has 32 flavors and he does Vanderpump rules. Uh, Someone like Truly Original that does Salt Lake City. um, There's a couple other companies. They, they They know how to do reality television, so it's entertainment, but it's not manufactured. There's a difference between augmenting reality television, which Alex Baskin, in my opinion, is a master at. He can add the music. He can linger a little long on Tom Sandoval's glance with the camera. That mm. to me is augmenting the reality, right? That's turning the, the the viewer's head and saying, look over here, look what Tom's doing with his eyes. That's yeah. augmenting what my production company did because they had to do because they didn't have a lot to work with, was they manufactured it. How'd they manufacture it? Frank inviting and, and cherry picking, which, you know, I'm not sure if you're familiar with those terms, but frank inviting is where um, my most famous scene is when I'm <laughs> a lunatic. I go to a restaurant and some people went skinny dipping. They didn't go skinny dipping. They, they actually didn't go skinny dipping, but they started to go skinny dipping. They started to take their shirts off and their pants off and stuff in front of my minor children who were setting off a fireworks show at my cottage. And it was made to look like I was very upset with them because they had too much to drink. So every time, shame on me, because I would say you got blind drunk and you undressed in front of my kids. Well, that's great for the producers because they could just cut and you got undressed in front of my kids. So it just looked like I was upset because people got blind drunk. So I go to lunch with this woman and she's there to say like, I don't understand what your problem is. And I say to her, you listen to me, you come after me, I'll stand my own. You come after my kids and flames will shoot out of my nostrils. Well, the producers again, because they wanted to make her look and the others look great. They cut that so it becomes, you come after me, if you watch it, it's like the the background is changing, the edit is so sloppy, and flames will shoot out of my nose. But here goes Kara looking like she is, what the hell is her problem? They had a couple drinks at her cottage, what's wrong? So that's classic Franken-biting. Mm. Alex Baskin doesn't do that, Truly Original doesn't do that. The good producers don't have to resort to that sort of hack, excuse yeah. the expression, but it's hack, editing. Um, and then cherry picking, we were doing an interview, and they were you know, asking me questions and they said, what do you think about wife swapping? So I sort of was like, mm, OK. And so I said, well, you know, maybe for some other people, not for me. How that came out is a promo for the show. They're like the housewives talk about their feelings about tequila. And, you know, one person's going, oh, I love to sip it. I like it in the spicy margarita. And then they cut to Kara, maybe for some other people, but not for me. And I was like, are you freaking kidding me? Are you kidding me?
1: That Not doesn't even remotely tequila. what that no. quote is tied no. to. Like, what? What?
0: That's cherry picking. Yeah. So oh, okay. as a result, you can see how you get a character who, I'm sorry, but in my opinion, I look at Cara Allway on Real Housewives of Toronto and she's distasteful. She's <laughs> full of herself because everybody was asking me questions that first night. Where do you like to vacation? Where'd you go to university? What do you like to do on date night with your husband? That was all taken out. It became a running monologue of Cara going, oh, we just came back from Banff. Oh, we do yoga. Oh, we do like so distasteful. Mm. So beware of the edit. And when you're watching, beware of the edit. Again, the good production companies, they know how to produce art and entertainment. And I do think that reality television is art. It elicits a distinct emotional response. so it it meets the criterion for what is art. And it causes the viewer, to emote and to you know to react to what they're seeing so in that sense they have an emotional response so it's art
1: yeah no i mean absolutely they're they're looking for engagement and 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 simply that's it that's what they're looking for people to be like holy crap i gotta watch more interesting interesting mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um of course lo- lots of people binge not only the real households of toronto but they go around the, the world every you know they're they're everywhere w- what do you binge watch when you mm. find-
0: that's interesting. You know what I binge watch? I really like cooking shows, i got to tell you. Mm. I really binge watch cooking shows. And one of the shows that I'm selling right now is a food-centric show. I'm not so much for the stand-and-stir sh- stand shows. I like the the travel cooking shows and those sorts of ones. Like, like the
1: Anthony Bourdain style? Or? Yes,
0: love that. So the one that I'm working on right now, it's called Extreme Foodies. It's really fun. It's a group of, I call them mild-mannered individuals who have real-life jobs, ad execs accountants, and they are passionate about food and they know everything about the history and science of food. So maybe on a Thursday night, one of them will pick up the phone and say, I got a reservation for this amazing restaurant in Italy. They have infinite resource. <laughs> they all hop on a plane, go to Italy, show up at the restaurant, order everything on the menu, not gluttony but to taste everything and they can comment and talk about it i mean we were we did tacos in tijuana for our sizzle and they were able to talk about the history of tacos how they started in lebanon from lebanon they came across to mexico the um what is it tacos el pastor you know the ones they cut off those are originally from lebanon and then they went to mexico city and then to tijuana and now they've made their way up into los angeles they know the history. They know if the fried chicken, the temperature it has to be cooked at so that the chicken is moist and the outside is crunchy and they it's can like eat. My 60 stomach is starting to grumble. Chicken. I know. <laughs> it was, we did, how many tacos did we do? We were there for 24 hours shooting a scissor reel and we did 42 tacos. Again, not gluttonous because you have a bite. You sure. discuss it, you talk about it, but very interesting. I love the science and history of food. I find it fascinating.
1: That's great. I, I'm the same way. I, like, I, you know, if I wasn't doing this, like broadcasting or radio or whatever, I, I would have definitely gone down the chef road. Like for my house, I have two little kids as well. Uh, I do probably 80, 85, 90% of the cooking. I just love it. It's <laughs> something about it. You know, put it on some good music, crack a bottle of red or crack a beer or whatever, just chill, something about that. The whole, it's creative, right? Yeah, like from the start to the end, it's just something about it. I love it.
0: That's interesting. That's like my youngest. He's very creative that way too.
1: He loves to oh, cook. Cool. How are you <laughs> in the kitchen? Are you are you a good cook? Like, what do you what do you break it out if you're trying to impress uh, buddies coming over?
0: Okay, so let me tell you something. I was not a good cook because with three kids, you know. <laughs> Chicken tenders rule roost, grilled cheese. When you have to go to swim practice and hockey and three people in different directions, you're throwing a ham sandwich in the backseat, go and eat something. Okay. Yeah. Or a Literally anything. Like this, please
1: get something in you.
0: <laughs> yes. Especially boys who like, they define hangry, right? If they're not being fed before they are doing an activity, you're in trouble. So mm-hmm. then ca- along came COVID and everybody moved home. And it was so nice because it was like a second chance. Mm-hmm. So I got to cook as an adult for adults who had time who weren't picky eaters it was so nice and if you really want to know my forte is cuban food believe it or not a ropa viejo i can knock that out of the park and i don't know how i gravitated to that i think i was like googling recipes or something and i thought oh i could do this and and this feeds a crowd and you know they're men they like to eat and be filled up with their manly meat so let's try it and i did it and it was great and then the next time i did um Oh, I can't remember the beef one. I did a, a beef version and I was talking to my girlfriend who's of Cuban descent and she was like, oh my gosh, those are legit recipes. Like you're nailing it, Kara. I can't Ooh. believe it. Nice. So, who knew?
1: Yeah, no doubt. Um, I, I want to talk about the Allure magazine and being the, assi- was it the assistant editor? I think
0: assistant West coast editor, dream job. Freaking amazing. Like how did you get that gig? <laughs> I love you. I'm so glad you asked me that. Let me tell you something. I was a hostess at a restaurant in Beverly Hills called the Bistro Garden. It's where Spago is now. As I said, it was down the street. Bethany was up the street at La Scala. I was down the street at the Bistro Garden. And I was a hostess and a private party coordinator. So it was a ladies who lunch restaurant, meaning we had no occupancy in the evening. It was a big lunchtime crowd. A That's lot funny. like La Scala, actually. My,
1: my wife has a uh, ladies who lunch here in Vancouver.
0: Really? <laughs> yeah. Really? Oh, that's fun. That's I so fun. So we, uh, we would get people like Kathy Lee Gifford. She'd come wheeling in with Cody in the stroller. No. We got Nancy Reagan. Oh, we had the late when I say the ladies who lunch, they were the ladies who lunch. But in the evening, the parties I would coordinate would be for um, local companies that you know wanted to rent out the whole restaurant. Because, as I said, we did not have a dinnertime crowd. And one of my best clients was Condé Nast they would have a party once a month for whoever was on the cover of Vanity Fair. So this was back in the day. I remember Ivana was on the cover in that yellow dress. It was a very iconic cover, Ivana Trump. And we had to do everything yellow. We had to do yellow linens, yellow florals. Everything had to be yellow to match her in this yellow dress. And I got really, really close with the office manager at Condé Nast. So one night we were standing there. We were doing another Vanity Fair party. I can't remember who was on the cover. I want to say someone like Tom Cruise or something. It was really cool. And... um I said, you know, I always wanted to write for a magazine. It must be so cool to work. And she was like, well, actually, I'm the office manager, but I'll tell you something. I also work with hiring. So if you want to write for a magazine, send me samples of your work. No problem. Called up my mom because this was pre-internet. I know I'm dating myself, but called up my mom and said, I need some essays from university. So my mom sends me off essays. I pick Hamlet's Fatal Flaw of Procrastination, fold it up, put it in the envelope, drop it off. She calls the next day and says, you're a jokester. I got the sample of your writing. Like, seriously? And I went, well, I've never been published, so I don't know what to send. And she said, okay, well, I'll tell you something. It's a good argument. I liked Hamlet's Fatal Flaw of Procrastination, and we passed around this, the office, and we laughed, and I have a new magazine that's starting up, and the editor is Linda Wells, who is a newspaper reporter, and more than beauty experts, she wants to hire good writers. She wants to hire people who know how to take an investigative approach to the topics of fashion and beauty. And it seems like you're a good writer. It seems like you want to learn. Would you like to come and interview? So I said, sure. So literally, the West Coast offices of these Condé Nast magazines are very sparse. So literally, you're the West Coast. You're the assistant West Coast editor. The West Coast editor was a woman, first Peggy Orr and then later Evan Seidel. Evan Seidel was a costume designer so she was always off working on set and she'd just pop in maybe once every two weeks to say what's happening in the west coast. Mm. Peggy Orr was married to Eric Orr who was a water artist really cool and again she was you know very busy she'd just pop in so I ran the west coast offices it was the dream job and it was so cool because it was like this really cool high school the girls from vogue lisa love and this other girl they'd smoke in the hallways and they were the really cool girls who always had like blazers with cut jeans before jeans before destroyed jeans were really in and then mm-hmm. there was a magazine called self that was a fitness magazine and those girls always showed up in workout clothes to work remember that. and they were remember. always off to the latest workout classes the gentleman across the hall from me worked for connie Nast traveler and he had always just gotten back from Just got back from Australia, just got back from South Africa, just got back. And he'd tell me tales of his like great trips. It was like the coolest high school ever. And the people at Allure, the funny thing, our registered trademark was we always had the whitest teeth because people were always sending us tooth whitening because it was in the early days of tooth whitening technology. So people were always sending tooth whitening creams and stuff like that. And we were always like, oh, ultra bright smiles. That's what we were known for. Mm -hmm.
1: (laughs) And and then so how do you slide into the like full on editor for Ingenue?
0: So yeah, so then I it, it was Ingenue magazine. So at at one point I sort of had an awakening. I tend to be very dramatic. I was watching Gone with the Wind and Scarlett O'Hara was there saying, "I know, I'll go home to Tara." And I thought I had three friends that had been carjacked. LA was not really nice at that point. And I thought, "You know what? It's only a matter of time before I'm carjacked." I feel like I've had my post university fun here. I feel like I need to go home to Toronto. I don't know why, but I just felt like I needed to go home to Toronto. Mm-hmm. So I said, I'm going to go home. I'm going to leave this job. I'm going to go home to Toronto. I'm going to give it a year. And if it doesn't work out, then I'll come back and do something else. Cause my resume was good. and You know, see what I want to do. So I came home to Toronto, literally within a week, this magazine ingenue said, Oh, we're looking to hire and you have Condé Nast experience and you've been an assistant West coast editor. Do you want to do this? Sure. I'll do it. And it was a teen magazine. And my sister wrote for me, I hired really good writers, because my sister was a great writer, she'd been writing for the Hamilton Spectator at that point. Mm. And it was fun, because it was a teen magazine And with teens, you can't be it was a lot like a lure, because I can remember my publisher saying this is not consumers reports. And I said, yeah, but at the same time with teens, you have to be really honest, you can't be BSing them about like this this zit cream is really great if the cream isn't great. And they want to know why it's great. Why is it great? Not just because you say it's great or a press release says it's great. So I was able to bring a lot of that consumer report style that I had learned from Linda Wells, who said, we do not kowtow to our advertisers. You can mention them by all means, but if their product isn't the best, I don't want you saying it's the best. And that would also drive the publishers at Allure crazy because they were like, we have to include our advertisers. And she was like, no. And that from that point on, if I read about a product in Allure, I knew it was good because it was in Allure. So I tried to bring that to my teen magazine and it worked and the teens liked it and they appreciated it. I mean, I can remember I was talking about young girls kissing other young girls, and it was a McLean Hunter publication at the time, and they were all up in arms, all the men's in the suits were like, you can't talk about that in a magazine, and I went, but that's what the teens want to discuss, they're having these feelings for other girls, and they want to talk about it, we need to be the forum where they can feel safe to talk about it, and read about it, and discuss it, so I drove a lot of people nuts, but I guess that's my MO.
1: (laughs) That'll be my autobiography, she drove
0: us nuts! (laughs)
1: Like, that's... huge huge magazines
0: yeah good for you they were good they were good and we had the fastest circulation growth in the history of mclean hunter and then mclean hunter went oh crap they're taking over our flair audience we got to get them out of here because you know it was like robbing peter to pay paul yeah So they ended it but
1: wow So, so it's not much of a stretch then really like the your background like most hated is not like it's not odd for you to write this book
0: No, it's not. You know what I am? Can I tell you what I am? Someone, after I finished Housewives, put a book into my hands by Dr. Phyllis Chesler, who is this 80-year-old psychologist. She lives in Manhattan, and she wrote this book, Woman's Inhumanity to Woman. Should be required reading. If you have daughters, get it in their hands by the time they're 14. She spends seven pages of her introduction apologizing to the sisterhood for writing it, which to me speaks volumes. She's that scared that she's going to offend people as a second-generation feminist that she apologizes for writing it. But within the pages of the book, she identifies something called internalized female misogyny, which when we think of misogyny, we tend to think of men not treating women in the best way possible. But Mm -hmm. there exists internalized, or I call it misplaced female misogyny, which is women acting inhumanely to other women. And it starts at eight years old in the playground because women are tribal. Men are not tribal like this. Women are tribal. And we have a hierarchy in the playground. And the ones at the top of the hierarchy are the ones that dictate what the behavior should be, what the discussions should be, what the game should be. And then you have these people like myself, the truth tellers, (laughs) the independent thinkers. Sorry, it's what I am. And how do we get punished? We get gossiped about. We get shunned. We get, you know, slandered, all of that. So I experienced this as an adult. But it starts at eight years old in the playground. And when I look back, I think, well, I wasn't really that much of a truth teller, independent thinker, but I was very much an observer. I can remember being eight and sitting on a swing and seeing one girl hold a rotten apple up to another girl. And that girl that got the apple in the face disappeared from school two weeks later, because I guess that was a form of bullying. I think it traumatized her. And the Mm -hmm. girl that was holding the apple up to her face was a very popular girl. I remember I didn't do anything about it, which I felt really bad about. But also, I just remember observing and going, wow. Look at how these girls treat each other. You better be careful, Kara. You better keep in step because if you get out of step and then I don't know what happened, The, the dam broke or something like that. Ask my husband. He's like, why? Why are you always the independent thinker? But something happened. So I brought that to housewives, which It's interesting. Before I did the show, we did this psychological analysis. It took three hours. They asked us all sorts of questions. I was trying to second guess it. Oh, what are they trying to find out? And when the show wrapped, I called the firm and I said, can I get a copy of my psychological analysis? It turns out, and again, this is in the narrative of my book, the ladies on the show have to do this psychological analysis. It's to find out what your hotspots are. My hotspots were, I had a big dog, but I was scared of other big dogs and highway driving. Well, if they didn't have me shoot a scene in the park with my dog and another big dog, ding, 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 and a highway driving scene. I was the only character that had to shoot a highway driving scene. So they want to know what your hotspots are. But I asked the psychological assessment firm, can I have a copy of that? And they sent it to me and said, sure, we don't care. And the very first line said, "Kara Alloway has very high emotional intelligence. So fast forward to, I'm in LA, as I told you, I have a producer representing me. And I'm in this how to cast reality television session that I just fell into, very fortunately, with Jonathan Murray, who is the godfather of reality television. He did the real world. He did the simple life. He is reality TV's Mm. who a list. Mm. And he said, when you're casting a villain, the first thing you want to look for is someone with incredibly high emotional intelligence.
1: And I was like in
0: the room going oh my gosh, the writing was on the wall from day one. I was the independent thinker. I was the truth teller with the emotional intelligence. Like it, there was no coming back from that. I was the villain before we even started filming. Hmm. I was there for it. So I thought that was pretty interesting.
1: Yeah, no kidding. It's almost like they they put you in certain roles as they're casting, you know, the members. I think so.
0: Villainous. I think they do. They're villainous. Yeah. Well, (laughs) read the book. So in the book, (laughs) within the pages of the book, Zoe is the producer who wants to make this show successful at all costs. And it's funny because my son read the book and he went, oh, I know who Zoe is. And I said, no, you don't know who Zoe is because he was around for filming. I said, you don't really? Because Zoe is a combination of a lot of people, you know, just like characters are always a combination of a lot of people. Zoe is not one person. Zoe is a lot of people that I dealt with and that I worked with within the confines of the show. And yes. and then some, because she's really off kilter and she will go to any lengths to make this show, which is called Talk of the Town within the pages of the story, the best, the most watched. Because the gentleman who is directing this show is a Quentin Tarantino type bad boy director who has decided he's going to turn his attention to reality television and direct um, one season of a well-worn franchise. So you look at Talk of the Town and you go, oh, is that supposed to be Housewives? Eh, I don't know. But <clears> um, <throat> he's directing this and she wants to follow him to his next project. But he's also the reason why a lot of the women who sign up to be on this show sign up for it because one is an actress and she's like, oh, well, maybe if I do this, he'll bring me to his next gig and things like that.
1: Which happens.
0: Which happens.
1: Which happens. <laughs> so, co- it's clearly- writing is huge in your world then it's big how about how about music and stuff like what did you grow up listening to what were your parents playing like, you know was i was concert all that stuff
0: i i had the worst taste in music admittedly i was very much like uh, a show tunes person i mean i can remember my parents really liked broadway a lot too which is kind of interesting mm-hmm. like i was listening to avita before anyone knew what avita was i was i was always about that i think maybe because i was I was a child actress, so I was exposed to theater. I had been in some plays when I was little, so I was never listening to, you know, Queen and what everybody else was listening to. I was always listening to like show tunes and stuff like that. So when I did dabble in mainstream music, it would be crazy stuff like Cher or At Midler or things like that. It's a, it, it was bad. I can remember I had a party. It's funny you should say this. I had a party maybe when I was seventeen or so, and I was in charge of the music. And I can remember someone looking across the room going. What is this shit she's playing? And I was like, maybe someone else should take over the music because, like, You're I clearly idea somebody
1: else will help out here.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> How about your first concert? What was it?
0: You too in Ottawa, but you it was good. Like it, it was when I was. I would say I want to say I was just graduated university I had been graduating university maybe two years and someone invited me to a U2 concert yeah okay. which you know I liked U2 but it wasn't really my thing I mean I would have much rather gone to see Lemiz. go figure <laughs> <laughs> I'm a I'm truth here. teller I'm telling you the truth okay <laughs> I
1: love it do you ever get um mistaken for a, a another celebrity
0: yes why I'm- who do you think
1: <laughs> I'm. I'm seeing a lot, like, actually. Sarah Jessica Parker. Is that her name? Is that who Can it is? Can I tell
0: you something? Yes. And I was in the Hamptons last summer. I, I actually love Sarah Jessica Parker. So for me, that's the ultimate compliment. But um, I was in the Hamptons last summer and I went into the Alice and Olivia store. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I had seen a dress in a magazine. I wanted to try it on. And we had some time to kill in between parties. So I was with my husband and I said, I'd like to try this dress and this dress and this dress. And the sales attendant girl, at first I thought she was being rude. She was standing there like staring at me. And I was kind of going hi, can you help me? And she yeah. went, Hello. yeah, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry, sure. So she's like, you know, what size are you in getting the dresses and stuff? And then she walks to the room and she turns around, and she goes, can I just tell you, I really love you. And I was like, so I was with, it was funny because I was with Leanne Locken and Leanne said a lot of people recognize her from her voice. So okay. I thought, and I've been recognized in the States from housewives, from housewife aficionados. Yeah. So I thought, did she see Toronto housewives and she's saying this? So I didn't know quite what to say. So I went, thanks. And she goes, it's Sarah, right? And I went, no, it's Kara. And she was like, oh. oh. And she walked away. And then she came back and she goes, I'm so embarrassed. I-, I was freaking out. I thought you were Sarah Jessica Parker. And I was like, oh, that's okay. We can pretend <laughs> I am if you want. I mean, if that makes you feel fun, we can take yeah, pictures definitely. and you can tell everybody.
1: <laughs> it doesn't surprise me that that's your answer. Because I, for sure, uh, that's who I would have thought too.
0: Leanne, How about way, you?
1: Leanne has been on the on the podcast before. oh my gosh I love her she's great yeah, that she, she well.
0: is so good I'm gonna see her again in the Hamptons end of July she is the funniest yeah. most unfiltered and like my husband who tends you know kind of conservative adores her those two get off like a house on fire they're so funny together
1: nice nice really good what is the plan for for you and the family for summer and all that
0: so for the long weekend we're going to head to visit friends in Torch Lake, Michigan, which I absolutely love. It's upstate Michigan near Bay Springs, Bay Harbor. Okay. Um, we have a friend there who is an 80-year-old widow and we go to see her every July 1 long weekend. She was like a surrogate grandma to my kids when we we lived in Florida for a bit. So she's just oh. been in our lives and yeah.
1: What was that like living in Florida?
0: Well, it it was interesting. We keep a fishing boat there in the Keys. And we fish, we go deep sea fishing. Um, When I say a fishing boat, I mean, it's just a 31 foot contender. I was joking with my son the other day. I said, when you meet girls at, because we're going to dinner at the yacht club. I said, when you meet girls at the yacht club, are you going to tell them the name of my yacht? It's called the Green Gecko. Is the Green Gecko. And my son Hunter was like, yeah. And then I'll tell them it's 31 feet. And they'll be like, oh, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) But um, it's a fishing boat. We do deep sea fishing. We go halfway to the Bahamas. My husband throws the net to catch the bait. Awesome. it's teamwork. It's, it's awesome. It is really, really awesome.
1: What, what, yeah. have, what have you guys caught? Like what's some of the big stuff? What,
0: well, Mahi, we fill the boat with Mahi all the time. Yeah. We freeze it and bring it home. We eat what we catch. We're very big eat what we catch. Um, if we catch something that, you know, you're not supposed to catch or anything like that. My kids have the resuscitation kit where they will do the hypodermic needle to bring it back to life. I've seen them swim with the fish to make sure the fish is okay. Yeah. Um, we we've caught, what else do we catch? Wahoo, Mahi is the biggest one. Lots of mutton snapper, mm-hmm. um, porgy, which a lot of people might not know because you don't see it on menus a lot because it's really hard to catch. Um, what's the other stuff we catch? Oh, my gosh. We catch so... I can't even tell you how much we catch. We, we've we never caught a swordfish because sword fishing is a different kind of fishing. Mm-hmm. So we like to do a lot of trolling or we do wreck dropping. Um,
1: I caught some sailfish in, uh, in Mexico, oh, which are kind okay, of... And- kind of like a sword it's, fish, that's good kind of. did
0: you get the necklace because yeah. we've caught sailfish and when you get when you catch a sailfish you have to get the sailfish necklace no you didn't get the necklace didn't oh my goodness no.
1: in what? fact you're what, looking what what we did is we took enough to eat that night for me and my family and then just gave it to like the people that we were fishing with and just said you know like you guys and they smoke it. It to your buddies or whatever and they were like stoked
0: absolutely they smoke it in mexico really nicely
1: it's right? really
0: beautiful. It's like a smoked salmon, but it's absolutely delicious. No, so we so- got our sailfish in um, Florida. So we had to do the catch and release, but you know, took mm-hmm. all the pictures and stuff.
1: Uh, but when you catch sailfish, huge. you're supposed to They're get dudes. like, like I, I I was like holding it up like, and it was way over my head. Crazy. Like I would it's say crazy. ten feet, probably ten feet. Oh yeah. Ish. Oh yeah. Eight eight. Yeah, there's
0: a captain in Florida that has. A major gash in his knee because one of those came randomly like into the boat and skewed it. Can you imagine? Like oh massive. God. I know. Was, what are the chances? Just fishing and right into the boat. Yeah, <laughs> crazy.
1: I did a. But, um, I did yeah, a big, we've uh, done
0: tuna too. Go ahead.
1: Oh, lo- love tuna. Love tuna fishing. Yeah, I did a big uh, trip up to the. Uh, I can't remember what it's called in the Queen Charlotte's, and tons of salmon and tons of halibut, and it was it was expensive, but it was it was so worth it so amazing
0: fishing is so great yeah that's on my husband's bucket list and we will get there but oh, um, we're really
1: up to the queen charlotte's
0: yes yeah, yeah he wants to do that he really wants to do that but we tend to go where the like we don't move the boat around the boat stays in the keys so we tend to go down there oh yeah. but when my kids were little i mean it was very idyllic but my husband would i called myself the parked wife but i'd get parked so we'd go down there at christmas and he'd park me <laughs> in the keys and he'd come back and forth and I yeah. stayed down there with the kids and the kids would go into school down there and we'd be down there until May. And it it was charming and idyllic. We drove around a golf cart. I mean, it was good living. The, the place we were, nobody locked their doors. It was like old fashioned, beautiful. Wow. And so they stayed friends with a lot of their friends there. And this lady who is in Torch Lake, Michigan for the summer has remained our friend for many, many years. And she's a widow and we go see her all the time now. And she loves us and she's tons of fun.
1: Wow. Oh. That's great yeah. story. Uh, when when you're saying the uh, the guy got a, the the sail right through his kneecap or knee or whatever, it it makes me think of and I and I've asked this of a lot of guests over the years, and I'm I'm curious if you have a near death story where you're like, holy crap, I could have just died there.
0: Okay, you have to know I'm a very dramatic person. So, uh, if my husband was on this podcast, he'd be falling out of his chair, laughing, going, "She has a near death story every day."
1: Okay, like, bro, bro <laughs> you got some time here.
0: <laughs> exactly. What is my near? I mean, I've been in, I've been in airplanes when they've been hit by lightning. That was pretty bad. I thought I was gonna, yeah, I thought I was gonna break. I was with my sister in law, and I thought I was gonna break her hand because when a pl- when you're in a plane and it gets hit by lightning and there's the discharge and everything, like you think your plane is going down. <laughs> it's pretty yeah. bad. Um, but aside from that, no, I I, like, no, but I, you know, I've been in bad car accidents, which I think is why I'm a nervous highway driver. And, and as I said, you know, if you ask my husband every day, I'm like, Oh my gosh, I almost died today. You have no idea what happened. (laughs) I'm very dramatic. What can I say?
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, what's the plan for you for the next, like how long in advance do you work out your, your schedule? Like, are you into 2024 now or?
0: No, but I am well into 2023 and I, so two really cool things happened to me this week that I will share with you because nobody else knows about this. Number one, Most Hated has been picked up by a university in England. It's going to be part of the curriculum for the cult of sociology. Yes, they're studying the cult of sociology in this university in Scarborough and my book is a textbook. How do you like that? Right? That's cool.
1: That's so cool.
0: (laughs) I love that so much and then as part of my book tour I'm going around upstate New York um, because Barnes and Noble has been really good Indigo Canada has been amazing too but I am going upstate New York for Barnes and Noble and then they want me out in California and I'm doing a really cool event August 22nd at the Grove in LA which Mm -hmm. is really good my publicist was like oh that's great that's the golden ticket that's like what we want that's where you want to be so Mm -hmm. it's going to be a big event at the Grove and it's seven o'clock at night and I'm going to do probably do a speaking thing first and then answer some q a and then sign books but like my my whole speaker circuit is really about this internalized female misogyny because you know there are answers for how women have to relate to women which is celebrate your differences and when you're angry see when guys get angry they talk about it or they put each other in a headlock when they're little boys Girls don't do that. We're told to put it in our pocket and take it home, and it festers, and it grows, and it gets ugly, and mm. we need to deal with anger maturely as it happens, communicating, and and for whatever reason, uh, they say, Dr. Chesler says that men have middle friendships, whereas women, we're all in. You know, we get one best friend, and we tell her where the bodies are buried, and we reveal everything to her, and then that friendship breaks up, and oh my gosh, she has all the goods on us. What the heck? Whereas guys, they have these middle friendships. They they never really get that that deep with the other guys.
1: So well, maybe I mean, that's I mean, the that's, answer. That's that's the whole thing of like you know go golfing with your buddies or whatever, and you get home, and your wife's like, oh how's uh, how's Dave's husband or wife? Or how's, the kid's, uh, how's his job? Like I don't fucking know. How would I know? I don't, <laughs> don't talk about that exactly. shit. I, I smoke a bit of a exactly. joint and crack a couple <laughs> beers and play golf like
0: it's hour. so true it's so true whereas we go out for coffee so and we know everything and then we have to look at the husband and go oh man so you're having trouble in bed with your wife the next time we see them right it's true it's what so we do bad. it's women we are relational creatures but we need to get it under control
1: yeah <laughs> yeah well good for you uh, what a what a cool story your your life has been and uh what a what an honor to to have you on the podcast i'm um, yeah, I really, uh, really enjoyed the time today. I, I told your, your you. PR company, by the way, I'd need like maybe 15, 20 minutes. So thank you for.
0: Oh, my pleasure. Over, it
1: feels like you're... No,
0: stop. I love it. I could talk to you all afternoon. You're really actually very good at your job. Oh, thank you. And I'm not blowing smoke. It really was fun to do this. Like some of them are torture and whatnot. Oh, this I would imagine some
1: one. are very. <laughs> <laughs> You know, i did a fun one the other day Podcast too right because like podcasts is like any very personal them, right and but yeah. for me it's like well i i i started this podcast with 20 years experience behind a mic
0: yeah
1: so it shows yeah it, it uh, definitely
0: just so you know it shows <laughs> uh, thank you
1: uh you're you're easy to find online it's simply your name uh kara alloway on both twitter instagram of course kara yep uh, I, and I my book is good. available
0: at like many, many, I'm always, if you want to give a shout out to the independent bookstores, I love them. I think there's one called Mosaic in Vancouver, but they're, they're it all is. across Canada. There's lots across Canada. I love the indie bookstores cause they've been so good and so nice. And you know, thank you Indigo. Thank you Barnes and Noble. But you know, the big chains ones in right. Australia, Boffin, Boffin books in Australia, which my kids laugh hysterically at. They go, you gotta be kidding me. There's actually a bookstore called Boffin books in Australia. And I'm like, yeah, it's Australia. What do you expect? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Love it. Well, congrats on Most Hated And Kara, uh, it's great Thank to see you, you. Great, great to meet you I'll, I'll follow along on uh, on socials And uh, we'll see you online
0: I'll do the same Thank you so much Subscribe on iTunes, YouTube, and Spotify At Toddcast Podcast.